So today on Need None Filters, we have a rapper, songwriter, record producer, actor, and a member of the legendary group, Wu-Tang Clan. My brethren, my twin, Method Man. What's up, twin? What's happening, brethren? You know what it is, brother. Already, man. Thanks for thanks for joining me, man. Absolutely, it's a, anytime. It's an honor, man. It's an honor. Thank you, bro. I'm sitting with one of the Bearcats' finest right now, man. Dang that, a New Jersey net yeah. finest too. Came on. You know I'm talking about, man. Appreciate the love, brother. It's always love yes, every sir. time we bump into each other, and always has been from day one, man. When I stepped into the East Coast, man, that's what's up. Yes, sir. Yeah. So. Let me ask you this before we get started. <clears throat> Does anyone call, who gets to call you Clifford? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it, it is, it's just a name, you know. I'm, I'm named after my father, I'm proud of that, you know, he's a senior. Okay. Um, but usually a lot of my families call me Shotgun, especially on my father's side, you know. Okay. I just Clifford than anything else, you dig? Yeah. But when you get famous, people get familiar, and sometimes they do it in the street. And I don't, honestly, I don't really get offended by it. I only get offended when they call me a uh, shotgun. Am I am okay. I breaking up? Yeah, because they I'm don't good. know you like that. All right, they don't know me to be calling me shotgun, and and my mama still called me that. So hey, that's really personal. Okay, yeah, no, I, I I'm saying I dig it, like like I definitely dig it. <laughs> so yeah, so how was it growing up, man? Um on the East Coast, man. Like, how was that life like, like as a young black man in New York City? Um, I've heard rumors and things like that, but how was that time growing up in, I'm saying, in, I, um, in that environment? Honestly, I, I always thought I was lucky. I always thought I was lucky to even be born in New York, let alone be raised in New York. Um, Cause for some reason, New York just always, you know, was always synonymous with what was hip. And um, for a minute, we was like the center of the universe, in my opinion. But um, once the 80s, that was my teenage, really. Um, I had just graduated in high school, 85. So, you know, things were changing. Even I was changing. And um, my mother had to send me away. And first she sent me to live with my father. Ain't nothing changed there. So sent me back to my mother, who then sent me to live with her family. and. Indiana. So I stayed there for about a year and they sent my ass back and it's been New York ever since, man. So you was I a mean, problem child like that. that. I mean, not even a problem child. She was just trying to keep me out of what was starting oh, to happen I, I in New you, York. And it I worked. Because I when you. I came back home, when I came back home from Indiana, brother, I mean dudes that I was that I went to junior high school where, you know, we high schoolers now, they, they already had cars or scooters and just crazy jewelry. And I'm looking like, what in the hell happened? Like somebody just farted money in us. Like yeah. it was getting paid. It was just something, you know? <laughs> the shit show. <laughs> and I think my mother saved, I think my mother saved me. Cause I, I probably had like maybe one or two felonies for real, for real. Yeah, because a lot of them dudes is doing that and getting jammed up at an early age. I could only imagine, man, you seeing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, I I was in a 
you know, being raised with my moms and my two sisters, you know, being the only guy, I spend a lot of time in the street. Yeah. I mean, sometimes my mother would wake up, it'd be seven in the morning, I'm already gone. You know, out just I don't know, I was just doing things. I was just getting into shit, you know what I mean? And um, I'm talking like eight years old, I'm I'm not coming home till eleven o'clock at night, you know? But that was just yeah, me. That was just yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm saying I and that's definitely that's the perfect name for a little motherfucker like you. I could only imagine, man. Yeah, <laughs> like running around just doing what you want to. Yeah, doing what you want to, <laughs> marching to your own beat. I could only yeah. imagine. Yes, sir. Shoot, I so what made you want to start getting into rapping though? I'm tired. Oh, when you want to start rapping, man. It just happened. When I moved to Staten Island from Long Island, um, yeah. And uh, I don't know, I just gravitated. I could have hung out with any group at that point because I was the new guy in that area. So, yeah. but I gravitated to the guys that rapped. I didn't gravitate to the guys that, you know, drank 40 ounces and played ball or, you know, sold drugs over here. No, I gravitated to the MCs and, and dudes that like to rhyme. And, you know, you sit, in, you sit in on enough sessions, you start to pick up a few things and, for me, it was amazing to see people my age, 13, 14 years old, rhyming like professionals, sometimes even better. Yeah. So um, once I picked up my pen, Raekwon, Raekwon the chef convinced me to. I always wanted to, but I never really wanted to jump in because I thought these guys were so good. So I attempted so to write my first together. rhyme. You and Raekwon grew up together? The majority of the woo. Yeah. Real talk. Okay. Myself, yeah. you, God, Dad. Yeah. Uh, who else? Shit, don't make me forget Ghost. Ghost was always there. Yeah, the majority of us, yeah, stand now, for real. Oh. But, um, you know, Chef convinced me to write my first rhyme and it came off hot. It was it was, it was tight and shit, you know? For me, it was, it was a highlight of my day because it was the first time I ever did something that I created and people responded to it well, you know? So let me ask you this, do you, do you remember that first rhyme? Uh, not really. I only know certain bars from it. You know, okay. it, was, it was, I ain't even do, I ain't even have a rap name then. My name is still Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you put Cliff's in there. So yeah, so there was a little hot little bar that had Cliff in there somewhere. I, I dig it, yeah. I dig it. So when did, so when did you get so how many rap names did you have before you had meth? Or was meth like like the uh, thrown in there and you well, pick one and you like what just threw it to the wall and see what stuck? <laughs> you know what it was? I went through a lot of different rap names. I was the Smurfy, the Smurfy MC when I was about 12. I was uh Matt MC Magnetic, uh Mace, MC Mace. Yeah, I was Mace before. Um yeah. And then it was Shaquan the Panty Raider and the crowd seducer. <laughs> Hold on, let's, know, talk, about him. let's talk about him. Let's talk about him. How old was he? How old this was that little was manish ass little boy? <laughs> 16, 17, and I was talking about this a panty raid. Bo, bo, bo. This a panty raid. Word. <laughs> had a little tape, had a little tape and all that circulating. It had panty <laughs> raid on there, a song called My House, and a song called Rota. All of them was about getting pie you. Already <laughs> got that first piece and lost his damn mind. <laughs> lost my mind. You know what though? You can honestly, if you watch your boys, 
If you're a father and you have boys, it's certain thing that you, you could tell when they lose their virginity. You know how little boys, when they have, when they walk, they have like this this bop in their step where they it's like a real goofy kind of you know what yep. I'm talking about? Like, hey, yep. you yep. know, but when they get some coochie. I'm sorry I'm saying this, it's out no, of line, but when they no, do. That, you good, nigga, you on my show, shit. We talk about whatever, shit, shit, let's get it. <laughs> when they do, they whole walk change. You gotta look for it. That oh, bounce yeah. is gone. It turning to a sway now, it's like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like you start feeling They, they lose that bop, that's it, boy. They, you know they, they innocence is gone. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you know I got a 19 year old, so you know, he was around the house. Out. Like, I remember when he got his first shot, yeah, his whole little thing changed. You know what I'm saying? I got a 15 year old too, and he's still <laughs> he's still on his toes around here. On his tippy toes, yeah. right? I told you, they get, they get on them heels once they touch something, though. But tell him, you know take his time. If I can give any young man advice, take your time, baby. You know what I'm talking about? Don't yeah, rush into sir. it, baby. Do not, do not, unless you like sharing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Sharon is Karen. There you go. Oh, that's what they say. <laughs> so, so, so after you was the panty raider, so then, so then, so then what? So it progressed over the years. You know, it was more or less like I want to be known for just girl rhymes plus. The whole movement of hip hop was changing. It went from, because at this point, a lot of the cats were wearing suits now. I mean, what jumps into my mind off top is maybe like a Father MC, who I love, by the way, I'm not taking nothing away from Father MC, but they were opening the door to make hip hop more acceptable, more pleasing to the eye, I guess, for, you know, I mean, to make it a more credible uh, uh, thing. We didn't, I guess, guys thought they had to dress up a certain way but anyway they were wearing suits and nobody could really identify with that from where we were from we didn't have suits if anybody had a suit they had that one suit and they wore it to church because their mother made them go church and east but the <laughs> bottom line but the majority of us even in new york on easter by the time you was 11 years old you ditched the suit it was whatever was hot that year like for me it was i had a pair of clyde pumas you know what i'm saying with some um I think they was Lee jeans with a no, tiger yeah. shirt. It was, it, the no, suits yeah. was gone. It was like, yeah. that's how we was getting down. But okay. you know, in that, in that, in that whole era right there, it was like, I forgot what the fuck I was talking about. Damn. Father MC wearing the suits and shit. Yeah, there we go. And, and that whole time we looking at it and we like, okay, I mean, it's cool and all that, but we we want to give the people something a little more different, something more grimy, and then we get an onyx, and then we start getting all these grimy, you know, just off the chain, just hood dudes, and we can identify with these dudes more and stuff like that. So, you know, before that even happened, the rhyme style had changed because I found myself having to, you know, battle my peers, and not even really battle, but you know, they say a rhyme and you trying to one up them. So you say your rhyme and then, but you always hold off your best one for last, you know? Yeah. And through that battling um, mentality, mentality, I mean, some hard ass rhymes was written. So by the time Wu-Tang was even formed, we was already ready for battle. You know, we was ready for war. 
Already. So by the time 93 came, y'all was, I'm saying y'all was ready. Hell yeah. What? Bottom Take line. on I mean, whoever and wherever, however. Yes, 99% of the clan members were instrumental in making a lot of the tapes that were circulating, you know, around Staten Island and in Brooklyn at that time. You know what I'm saying? Um, just from making tapes at Riz's house, that kind of thing. Ghetto celebs first. And this was before we was even a group. But we were all in that house together. Yeah. Rhyming. I mean, Ghostface, I forgot how old he turned this year. But I remember we all met down in Stapleton. And all we did all night, Dirty was there that night too. All we did all night was rhyme. Somebody had a, a, a little radio with beats and Rizza had his beats on there and he kept playing his beats and dudes was going in all night would, long. It started raining out that long. Yeah, I said I would have loved to been a fly on the wall in that mud. <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I could only imagine, man. Yeah, so that was led, I'm saying, led to the group thing. A lot thing. of us learned our styles. Already, yeah. that's what's up, you know what I'm saying? So that led to the woo, and all y'all was able to have a successful career as well. You know what I'm saying? Talk yeah. about that, you know what I'm saying? How big was that for each one of y'all to, to be able to come to, uh, to come together as a group and still stand on your own as an MC? Well, honestly, I, I attribute all that to RZA and his, and his vision for what he wanted the group to be and how he wanted us to attack the industry. And Steve Rifkin gets a lot of credit also for even agreeing to a deal that basically gave away the artists that he had within the group. Um, and by that happening, we changed the game, literally. Not changing the game where brothers use it like, it's so, it's so cliche to say it now. We actually changed the game. And the point I'm trying to make is that when we came in, it was unheard of for these labels to even work together, let alone let other people sign their artists. Yeah. And we got that done. And like I said, we were making tapes at Rizzo's house, whether we were by ourselves, three of us, four of us, five of us, all of us there, just doing it for the fun of it anyway. So when it was time to break apart, it was the same as Voltron. So when he gave the Voltron analogy, he was basically saying, look, we're, we're devastating as one and separately we're just as dangerous mm -hmm. so you sure. can't take anything for granted with this group and i love that right there i mean that that that's part of the mystique of wu-tang clan and i feel like that's why we resonate with the fans so much hey i just want to know how i feel to win a grammy that's what i want to know like uh, <laughs> how is that feeling because not everybody listen not everybody that dude can say they got one like them yeah. things hard to come by bro <laughs> listen i mean you Right, you're absolutely right. But I got mine, let's say I got it pre-recorded. So it was kind of, I don't know, bittersweet. I mean, was, I was happy to get a Grammy, don't get me wrong, but it was announced pre-Grammys. Meaning yeah. when I walked in, me and the wife walked in, I sat down a usher who yeah. was sweeping the aisles, you know, to clean up the spot before everybody came in, came up and was like, Meth, what you doing sitting here? I'm like, what you mean? He was like, yo, you won. It's like, stop lying. He was like, I swear on everything. They called your name. So I walked up to the the front of the uh, stage some they, while they were still building shit, walked up to the lady and I was like, my name Method Man, I think I won. And she was like, okay, come with me. Brought me in the back. They gave me a mock Grammy and started asking me questions. <laughs> that was it. That oh, was it. Shit. That's how. That's <laughs> what they thought of rap. That's what yeah. they thought of rap 
at that point in time. Now, as oh, far wow. as Mary, that was her first, that was her first Grammy. So, you know, I, I can hold that dear to my heart that, you know, I actually won my first Grammy when Mary won her first one. So we kindred right. spirits in that sense. That's what's up. And to yeah. be the owner, I'm saying another accomplishment, um, to be the only feature on Big's Ready to Die album, man. That's 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 dope. I did not know that much as I listened to music and been listening to y'all, like I did not, I really didn't pay attention. But yeah, you are the only person that owned, like now that they say I'm like, damn, that's right. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. And that and I and I'll give all due respect to Tracy Waples. Funny story about that, too, because at this point in time, Wu Tang is rolling. And RZA is more or less like battening down the hatches. We're not doing no songs with nobody. We're not giving this money away. Don't do no features. Yeah. Copy that. The biggie thing comes up. Tracy comes and picks me up. I snuck and went and did that record, brother. <laughs> I was not supposed to do it. I snuck and went and did that record. And the rest yeah. is, is history. Then I yeah. did it again when yeah. I went and did the record with Red Man. And to this, not even to this day, um, I'll say like a few years back, it was brought up about how I was supposed to have another video for my album, but the fact that I did the show soundtrack and did the song with Red Man kind of took yeah. away from my, I didn't care about hearing any of that shit though. Cause at yeah, the end of the day, came, I got a yeah, movie what and a TV from. show out yeah, there. Yeah, hell yeah, look what came from it, shit. You can't have yeah, no right. regrets. Can't have no damn regrets with what I'm saying no about whatsoever. that. Know what I'm saying shit, that's what came from and it. And they don't even, my clan, my clan love Red Man. Already did shit. They should, cause yeah, nah. I'm saying so. Speaking of such, such gentlemen, um, how was that like dynamic with you and him? You know, what I'm saying making albums and and movies and things like that. Like, how was that dynamic, man? Well, it could have been shaky dog, and I attribute a lot of the credit to Redman because it could have been shaky dog. He was Redman. He was already in the game a year and a half prior to Wu Tang even coming in the gate. Then you got yeah. this Method Man you know, man coming in, same label, Afro. Yeah. He, you know, he got a, a grimy sense to himself too, but that was just because Staten Island and Jersey are just a, a bridge apart. And a lot of people from Jersey migrated to Staten Island as well yeah. as people from Brooklyn migrated to Staten Island. Anyway, um, I come in, first time I met Red, man, you know, it's how you meet somebody for the first time and stuff. And we always loved this dude. So for me, it was like, I'm gonna play it cool. And for him, it was like, I'm gonna play it cool too. Even though he had came out to our independent record, Protect Your Neck, when it was still independent on a Russell Simmons pay-per-view concert called Fat Jam. Yeah. And the whole Staten Island loved him ever since then. So it was, I won't say it was icy at first or dicey. We kind of hit it off in the beginning on some, you know, he, he went his way, I went my way, but it was all amicable. Yeah. And um, Kevin Lyles came up with the idea of putting us out on a tour together and calling it Month of the Man. Because at this same time, Puppy put together a bad boy package where he called it Big Mac and he had Biggie and Craig Mac together. And they their promo was like a Big Mac, uh, like McDonald's. Yeah, Took that yeah. right there. <laughs> so they put out the Month of the Man, me and Doc, and, um, Doc, I'm pretty sure they went to him first and asked him if he would, you know, agree to it or how he felt about it or whatever. And being the guy that he is, this is why everybody loved Redman. He has no ego whatsoever. He was more or less like, yeah, let the little nigga come on the tour. Let's go. Yeah. So me, and Doc go, <laughs> so me and Doc go out on the tour together, man. And I mean, we, we have been inseparable ever since. Ever since. That's my brother. 
Visit GreyGoose.com and in one click, you can have a Grey Goose Holiday Punch Cocktail Kit delivered to your door. The Grey Goose Holiday Punch Cocktail Kit comes with everything you will need to make a holiday punch. Grey Goose Vodka, pomegranate juice, sweetened black tea, martini and Rossi Prosecco, and garnishes. Everything you will need to impress your holiday squad. And we won't tell them how easy it was. Cheers! Sip responsibly. Imported by Grey Goose Importing Company, Coral Gables, Florida. Vodka, 40% alcohol by volume, distilled from French wheat. Already, so it went from y'all having a single, How High in 95, and six years later, y'all make a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two albums. Talk about two albums. Like, We're going to get to those because Blackout and Blackout 2, listen to like, y'all, hey, yeah. Hat off, brother, for damn sure. Thank you, brother. But how high the movie? Summer of 2001, uh, my son mm-hmm. was just born. He was born in January of that year. After the season, nice. I'm in LA. How high is out on DVD and life is out on DVD, right? <laughs> I bullshit you not. I watch these, both, two, both of these movies Every single day, bro. Oh, that's dope. I watch How High every single day, like verbatim. Like, yo, I would sit there and I would laugh the same way every fucking time. Like, every every time I would laugh the same way because I would see something different. Like, every Every time time. I watch it, like, I would see something different and I just laugh the same way. Like, it could be on TV right now, it's halfway through it, I'm gonna stop and watch it. Like every like it's just like one of them movies for me that's like yeah like these boys did this man like like this is like yeah y'all was y'all self it was hilarious yeah and I still yeah. use some of them same terminologies to this day from that movie that shit on your lip got some shit on this lip you know what I'm talking about right like, all of that hey man listen the beauty about see <laughs> so what's that fragrance like, it's can I buy for men right right. <laughs> the beauty about that movie was that it was written for us. It was written our voices. Um, it was easy for us to go up there and just do Method Man and Red Man. And I think it translated well on screen, you know, especially some of the, um, a lot of the lines that people love in that movie, they were ad-libs, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, that shit on your lip got some shit on his lip. Uh, oh, you can't it. write uh, that. Can I, can I buy it for men? All that shit was just, you, you can't know, write that in. Even the Mike Epps shit with the baby powder shit. A lot of that shit was like improv and shit. Tell him powder. (laughs) (laughs) And we just had fun, man. You know, the majority of the crew was weed smokers and they still got the job done. So it shows that stoners are not lazy people. We're more focused. So I'm pretty sure y'all have been asked this before, but I I got asked. So was y'all smoking Mm. for real or it it was prop stuff? It started out that way. I ain't gonna even lie to you. It, uh, uh, I could tell you which scene we was actually really smoking, and that was when we were in the car, got weed, got blunt. We had yeah. a real blunt sitting on the dash right in between us, the armrest right in between us. And yeah. in between takes, we was hitting that motherfucker. And a couple of times when they wanted us to cough, I wanted to give them a real cough. So I hit that yeah. motherfucker extra hard. So when I did that, <laughs> that's a real yeah, cough. <laughs> That was a real cough right there. But slowly but surely, as the movie progressed, 
um, our our attention spans got a little bit, or we're starting to wane a little bit. And um, mm -hmm. I had a nice little discussion with one of the uh, the producers who, you know, basically told me, "Look, I'm I'm a producer. I can do this for the rest of my life, but that's your face on screen, and you're going to be judged for your performance, not me. So, what do you want to do?" And that's when we chilled out and just started smoking the prop shit. That shit was okay. getting me sick as fuck, though. I could only Damn imagine, because you smoke for real. Yeah, I could only yeah. imagine how that made you feel. <laughs> yeah, why you yeah. think you ain't get a high, high part two from being red yet? No, I'm you know kidding. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with it. Hey, listen, because, hey. Right, right. I could only imagine. So you're doing yeah. movies, TV shows, rapping. So talk about the importance of having more than one source of income, bro. Well, you know, I mean, if anything we learned from In Living Color with the Jamaican family, <laughs> yeah. they was like, how many jobs he have? One job, hey, he's willing to support you, your wife, your kids, <laughs> your grandmother, your auntie. You know, um, it's always good to not put all your eggs in one barrel, you know, and um, yeah. or put all your eggs in one basket. Um, for me, it was, the music game is just so fruitful, you know, it's just so, so many perks that that come with it. We got the best fans. Not taking nothing away from basketball fans or, or sports fans or, or you know art or whatever whatever your thing is. But music fan, like the fans are just rabid because they take moments out of their lives. Like they identify moments of their lives with certain songs and and things of that nature. So for me, it was like yeah. Especially when Wu Tang was riding that 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 big wave, it was like, yeah, that's where I want to be at right now, you know. And I got a couple of offers here and there, and I took what I could in the time span that I had while I wasn't doing shows, and that kind of gave me an acting bug. So yeah. for me, if I did, I knew that if I did a great job, not saying it would be there waiting for me, but there was always an opportunity for me to knock on the door and somebody would answer. And that's exactly what happened because once the hip hop wave started to change a little bit and it started going in a, a whole different direction um i found it hard to not only get an album done but to even tour you know at home which i like doing more here than having to fly way overseas because i just don't like to travel far i don't know that's just me and shit. if i can't get there in the car i don't really like to go but um <laughs> we were doing a lot of <laughs> we were doing a lot of shows overseas and i say about my fifth time going to some of the same spots that year, that year, some of the same spots overseas, five, fifth time over there. Um, I just got tired and was like, what are we doing? Like, how are we yeah, contributing? At, at, at this point in the game, we should not just own something, but we should be running something. We should be able to be in the position that we weren't in, that the people were in that signed us and got us in the game. We should be in that position too. So how can I contribute? What can I do? All right, I'm, I'm gonna go see if um, I can still do this acting thing. Yeah. Um, started to jump full force back into that lightly though at first because I was green again. I hadn't had my feet wet in so long. I didn't want to jump into something big and look like and look ridiculous. The thing that started me off um, was the mortician. Shout out to my boy Gareth. Um, like I said, still green, but he gave me yeah. a shot to do a, in a vehicle where I could shine and and basically step outside of my character. Yeah. The next thing I did was, uh, 
I think it was uh, the cobbler. Yeah, that was years later um, okay. with Tom, Tom McCarthy. And the way he explained things to me, if people would have explained acting to me or uh, just certain ways to go about a scene to me the way he did, I think I would have I, I think I would have caught on way earlier. But that's what really like broadened my mind and said, you know what? I understand what's going on now. Maybe there is a spot for me. Yeah. So I dropped everything. Everything went to LA with my manager, slept on her couch uh, for like two and a half months, a month mm-hmm. and a half maybe, went on auditions. I mean, I could have stayed at the W. I'm in LA, bro. I could have yeah. stayed at the W, SNL, hotel, anything, any place I chose. Yeah. I chose to stay there, sleep on the couch, study, take my acting classes, take my ass to the gym, all that good stuff. And it paid off in the end. I paid my dues to be where I'm at today, man. And would I recommend everybody do it? No, I wouldn't uh-huh. recommend everybody do it because it's not easy as some, I know the greats make it look easy, but it's not as easy as it looks. And I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still yeah. learning. I still have anxiety before I go on set because uh, someone explained to me those butterflies that I feel before I do a scene is growth. So I'll go with that. All right. So, so to piggyback on that, you work with a lot of different actors and actresses. I'm saying a lot of different shows, movies, and things like that. So, who um, who helped you the most, or, or, or who are some of the some of the people that contribute to your, I'm saying, being where you are in your acting career? I say everybody, but if I have to say particular people, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, she taught me a lot. Just being on the deuce with her. And the producers from The Wire, who also did the deuce, they they taught me a lot. Um, different lessons here and there. The producers from um, Oz taught me a lot about being punctual and you know sticking to your word and showing up on time for things and not being a rock star when it's time to do work. Um, a lot of a lot of little lessons here and there, but it made me into the person that I am now. Um, but you know, like I said, you grow up and you watch people on screen. And when I first saw The Wiz, I thought Diana Ross was like superwoman. You know what I mean? Like she couldn't do any wrong. And, and to this day, I still hold that feeling for Diana Ross based off The Wiz. Now, yes, she did have a music career before that. But yeah. as a child watching The Wizard of Oz, but with black people and she was the lead, that was major for me right there, you know? Like, right. wow. That's, that's what's up. So, so like you mentioned some of the roles that you've played, um, Cheese in the Wire, Daniels in the yeah. Oz. I'm saying you've been in Belly, you've been in other. So what's, so which one of them roles do you favor most? Ooh, the, <clears throat> the role I favor, I, I gotta keep it a buck. The role I favor the most out of all those roles that I play, Hmm. I'm going to go with the one I did with Red Man because I was able to be free and be me. Not in every scene, but, you know, it was easier for me to come to work every day with my partner, you know what I mean? And yes. be in an unfamiliar space, but having it feel familiar because me and him can relate. So, yeah, I'd have to say Silas P. Silas, how high? <laughs> that's what's up that's music to my ears i must say <laughs> thank you brother all right yeah so let's talk about your charity work man you've been doing man i know you got a i'm saying you got a cannabis company to so how 
how are, are you helping, I'm saying, build that brand with what's going on around the world, man, the social injustice, the racial equality and things that's going on, man. Let's, let's speak on well, that for a we, minute. Well, I think Nas and them have a documentary coming out about the, mar- the legalization of marijuana, something along that line right there. And yeah. I think that is, honestly, it's a, it's tragic that there are people right now with blotches on their record, marijuana blotches on their records, and you have certain states that have legalized it and are honestly getting paid off of this same substance that people have on their record as an infraction. Um, not only that, black people, black and brown people were disproportionately arrested for marijuana possession and things of that nature to the point where, you know, the majority of us were in there for these drug uh, infractions. And for them to legalize it and then not even open it enough for us to have dispensaries of our own black owned dispensaries. It's, it's shameful, honestly, for lack of a better word, because here we are, uh, you know, the, the most incarcerated group in America, a lot of us for marijuana infractions and here they are legalizing it, but not, giving not we don't even want the time back but at least some kind of reparations that we didn't get from slavery i mean and i'm going a little far with it right now people going hate on this shit, but my thing no, is it's true why true. can't we give us give us the option the, the opportunity to own some of these dispensaries too i mean we put the work in honestly yeah, if you think about it we put all the work in and a lot of us were behind bars because of it so yeah. uh, the thing with Tikal official is we want to focus. I mean, we're going to hit different dispensaries, of course, but we want to focus on dispensaries for black and brown people first to yeah. bring more clientele to those people first, you know, have that dollar bill generate in our communities before it goes into other communities, you know, and a lot of these, these, these dispensaries, you think about it, right? Keep it a buck. When I was younger, when people came around Thanksgiving and gave out turkeys and things of that nature, you had soup kitchens and things of that. You would go get a plate. But yeah. when they came around and was giving turkeys out the back of the truck, that was the drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> who, 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 you know, basically they were blood sucking the community because they were selling drugs and, you know, being uh, causing more harm than good in the community. But their way of giving back, it's... It's not enough, but I'm saying with that in mind, you take what's happening now with, you know, uh, these dispensaries and things, even stores that are in our neighborhoods that don't even spend the dollar that they make off of us back in our communities. It's, it's, it's not even us who owns the, the freaking stores, you know? And, that, and that's basically the point we're trying to make with the Califisher is we want to keep some of this money and bring some of this outside money into our community first before we say, okay, now we're ready to break bread with the rest of y'all. All right, that's what's up, man. I applaud you, brother. Doing some Thank positive you. giving back to, I'm saying giving back to um, a good cause, man. That's what's up, man. Like, I'm saying we need more brothers like you doing more positive things, man, for other people. I'm saying so I'm Yes, we need more black sure. entrepreneurs. We need more black entrepreneurs sure. and more programs to show not just the young men, but the young women, how to create businesses and go into business for themselves. Because a lot of us are are lacking in in, in not just education, but you know, 
social equality, period. Yeah, yeah I said it. Yeah, financial literacy, like all of it go hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Like, you know I'm saying? Yes, all sir. go hand in hand, bro. Yeah, so yeah, man. Like I want man, let's talk, um last but not least, let's talk about um Wu Tang. Wash your hands, use use a mask properly. Tough, <laughs> tough nothing, avoid large crowds, never touch your face when unclean oh, hands. Go to the hospital if you have symptoms. I think that's dope, bro. Like, yeah. did you like some thought went into this? Um, it's needed. Um, that's good. We still yeah, have man. people that still don't believe that it's real. I'm saying, yeah, but nah, so, so I think that's dope, man. Let's talk. Yeah. So who, who's the who uh, initiated this? Was it your idea? Was it somebody like? Was it a group of y'all? But I'm pretty sure you had so, something to do with this. <laughs> No, I think it was a fan. And the thing that's yeah. crazy because we got fans. I'm not going to say they like the Beatles fans, but we pretty close, man. And our fans, are, they, they're dope. I mean, what that was floating around for a while, that Wu-Tang yeah. when the coronavirus first hit. But then yeah. when the election started, I started to see, you know, presidents are temporary, but Wu-Tang is forever. A lot of those yeah. popping up everywhere. Oh, and yeah. all I can say is, re, you know, respect, man. I love the shit out the fans, man. Regardless to whom or what, man, man I'm always going to stand with y'all, man. Fuck you, me. <laughs> Already, that's what's True up. Fans. Nah, you can, you, you can definitely, I'm saying, y'all put the time in to work in as a group, individual artists, blood, sweat, yes, and tears, man. So y'all should be looked at as the Beatles, man. And there's, there's no difference in a lot of people's mind, man, and opinion. So, that's what's up. Appreciate that. Man. Appreciate and that. And on that note, man, I want to thank you. I appreciate your time, brother. I know yeah, you're a busy sir. man, man, taking this time out, man, to be on Needing Unfiltered. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on, my brother. Stay blessed. Not a pleasure Stay was soft. mine. Already, brother. Pleasure was mine, Love. brother, for real, yes, for sir. real. And that work, and the work you did in Denver, they should have retired your jersey, brother. You went out there and put in work, and you helped them a lot. Already, the mellow years. Am I correct? Am I correct, uh, brother? Come on now. Oh, Give it oh to yeah, me. no. Come I was on. a part of his success out there, man, for seven years. You know oh, what I'm saying? Man. So, no. You know, Big you, part. Already. Big part. That's what's up. No doubt. All right. Love. Love you always, brother. Respect. Already.